Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Gutty performance by Clevenger. Uh, did a nice job. Just continued to battle. I mean, he knew that we needed him to give us some innings today, and he did. Uh, and obviously, the bullpen was really, really good. Kelly came in in a tough situation, and you know, uh, experience and stuff. And, you know, he did, did what Kelly was. Um, and then obviously, uh, Bummer came in, had a nice inning. Graveman came in, had a nice inning. So did Lopi. Lopi gave up that home run, but uh, overall, uh, it was. Uh, very good economical bullpen day as far as pitches are concerned. These guys uh, went out there today and um, just economized some pitches, which was extremely important. That is White Sox manager Pedro Grafal talking about the pitching. And he talks about the bullpen there towards the end. Thought it was an economical good bullpen day. Uh, Renato Lopez gave up a solo homer to Andrew McCutcheon in the ninth inning. And with that, the White Sox have now given up a run. The bullpen has given up a run in every single game. Nine games. The bullpen has given up a run in every single game. I'm looking right now at the, at the bullpen ERAs around baseball, and the worst bullpen ERA in baseball is the Chicago White Sox. So it is bad. And guess what? It's more than two runs worse than the Phillies, who are second to last. And then the Marlins and the Tigers and the Reds round out your bottom five. Three of those are bad teams, expected to be bad teams, especially the Reds and the Tigers. Marlins still have some pretty good starting pitching. but And the Phillies, obviously, a World Series team, Notorious for bullpen troubles over the last few years. Went out and signed a bunch of guys. They're still struggling. The White Sox, dead last in bullpen ERA. Um, Here's what I wonder. If they're going to use somebody in bulk, I think Renato Lopez, who's the closer right now, and he's throwing, trying to throw really hard, trying to throw at 100 miles an hour, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, It is not supposed to be the closer. I don't even think he's supposed to be a short man. If I were the White Sox, I'd be using Renato Lopez – and I, and I said this last year and all of last year, like Keegan Thompson, who we talked to an hour ago, or Albert Alzali, or any number of these guys, basically a right-hand version of Andrew Miller, a bulk guy, get me from my starter to the late innings as needed. And if you pitch two innings one day and you can't pitch the next day, okay, maybe that means you pitch three innings on a day. That's fine if that's needed. 
It's kind of a long reliever, but it's also a bulk guy. Maybe you only need one inning every once in a while. Maybe it's two innings, and he can still give you an inning the next day. This is a usage uh, model in the modern bullpen. I don't know if the White Sox have anybody designated for that. Maybe it was Jose Ruiz who they eventually designated for assignment this past week because that dude can't hang. Probably Crochet last year was maybe that guy. Maybe, although Crochet, yes. No, you're right. Early on, Crochet, I think, was perhaps going to be that guy. Now the kid they brought up in the wake of Ruiz is uh, being DFA'd might be that guy. He's like 28 or 29, but I don't know if he's really, you know, a, a legit prospect. Oftentimes it's a starter who you convert, like Adbert or Keegan. You know, so it's just it's something to watch. I thought it was a Tony issue with the modern bullpen, but here it is this year. They don't necessarily have a guy dedicated like that, too. But again, without Liam, it keeps things confusing. All right. I mentioned this. My top 30 favorite ball players from the 30 baseball seasons I have been in Chicago. Very fun to do it. We did it on Parkin the Spiegel at 440 every day for the 30 shows leading up to opening day. Um, and all the listen link, uh, all the listen links are available. It's all available as one podcast too. Um, I'm also taking the writing that I did for it and maybe putting that into something, thinking about how maybe I could publish that somewhere, somehow, some way. So working on it. But anyway, it was through this process, I ended up with my number one and it was not a player I expected it to be. I thought maybe it was going to be John Lester, who was number two, like before I did it. I thought maybe it was going to be Frank Thomas, obviously, because excellence is a big part of what we've seen the last 30 years. thought maybe it was going to be Paul Konerko or, you know, anybody, anybody like that. Instead, it was Mark Burley. Number one. The power of the exercise and the, my own predilections for the proprietary rating system led me to a favorite I didn't even think I'd land upon, but here we are. Mark Burley is number one. Remember, excellence is the first factor for me, and Burley was excellent consistently. Uh, he was both a starter and a reliever in the minors, but his second appearance in the bigs in 2000, he allowed six hits, two runs, and seven innings against the Twins. Typical in the beginning of an incredible run. 11 full seasons here. Started 30 games and threw over 200 innings every single time. He was a throwback even then in terms of usage. Now, the current highest streak of 200 innings season is Sandy Alcantara with two. Burley would finish his career as the first pitcher to record at least 200 innings with 61 or fewer walks in 14 straight years. He beat the record of 13 by Cy Young. He, uh, he's a 10. As a pitcher, as a hitter, well, he's just nine for 125 in his career, but that home run in Milwaukee was fun. And hitting is mixed with fielding in the system. As a fielder, as good as anybody who has ever done it. Three gold gloves with the White Sox, another in Miami after that. And this play on opening day 2010 might be the best we've ever seen a pitcher make. Just deflected over. Look at the play by Burley. Mercy! Wow! From the Gold Glove winner, look at this. That one's going to be on highlight reels all year long. Take a look at this one again. And they're going to give Burley a chance to see if he's entirely healthy. He flips it between his legs to a barehanded catch. Hermes coming out to take a look at Burley because that one hit him square. What an effort by Mark Burley. Wow. That's as good as I have ever seen right there. 
It was the play of the year on opening day. That was his eighth of nine opening day starts, the franchise record for defense hitting. He gets a nine. When you consistently limit walks, never more than that 61 and 03, and you go after hitters relentlessly, even if you don't have elite strikeout stuff, you got a chance to pitch deep into games again and again. And he did. He worked so fast for lots of reasons. One was that he hated analytics, didn't think about matchups too much. Don Cooper used to try and go over scouting reports, and he'd say, Coop, I'm not even paying attention. Maybe I have ADD. It's just more crap that can lead to second guessing. He, he didn't matter. He never shook off catchers. Kind of amazing that he threw four different pitches at a rate higher than 10% over his career. So it's not like he didn't mix it up. He just executed every pitch, every time. And defenders behind him loved the pace. The style enhanced the team aspect. Everyone was on their toes and made great plays. Teammateship, he gets a 10. This is your constant operating procedure. So you might get to be perfect. April 18th, 2007, he got close. He walked Sammy Sosa. But Burley's all-timer of a pickoff move sent Sosa back to the dugout fast. Burley got it. Sammy Sosa becomes victim number 48 in Mark Burley's career. And it's just not good when you're not stealing a base to be picked off. And Sammy not stealing here. Down ball. Creedy. Texas Rangers. The no-hitter there, and then he was perfect. And, Danny, we've talked about this. This experience of the perfect game cements it for me uh, as we finish a list of favorites. June 14th, 2009, me and Dan McNeil doing the show pregame above the ballpark uh, in the booth there. Decided to stay for the game. In the fifth inning, I'm in the press box. Max texts that he's got a friend with scout seats. There's an extra for me. I get to go down and watch the last four innings of the perfect game, eight rows back, and we all know how it ended. But there in Jackson, Ed Farmer at U.S. Cellular Field. Mark Zerang is our engineer here. Score Studios in downtown Chicago. Joe Ostrowski and Chris Tannehill work there. Call your sons, call your daughters, call your friends, call your neighbors. Mark Burley has a perfect game going to the ninth. Everybody up here at U.S. Cellular. Sox five runs, six hits. The 2-1 to Bartlett. Swing shot to short. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! He's mobbed by his teammates. A perfecto! It couldn't happen to a better guy. I had personally been coming off being broke, unemployed, couch surfing on the West Coast. Now eight rows back for a baseball feat that had happened at the time just 16 times since the turn of the 20th century. Tears of gratitude for a Jamoke like me, a top three game ever attended. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome one, man. And uh, I've heard you tell that story and how much it meant to you to be there. He was, it seemed like, I mean, imagine what he would be in the pitch clock era, right? They, Theo said, he's like, it's like every game is going to be pitched by hey, Mark this Burley. This is a really well-paced game. It's like Mark Burley's pitching for both teams. That- <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> Think about that legacy. Think about that impact. Think yes. about that standard. He was so different than everybody else because of that. There was just like a noticeable thing. And it wasn't just that he worked quick. He was efficient. He mm-hmm. attacked you. He had the great pickoff move. He had the great defense. It was like all the intricacies within the game of pitching he had perfected. The only pitcher in baseball history to throw multiple no-hitters and win multiple gold gloves. The only one. 
His next start, he almost did it again. Got the first 17 hitters, a record for 45 straight outs recorded at the time. For Sox fans, the 2005 title run might be the most memorable. He had one of the four complete games in the ALCS, started the epic game two of the World Series that Petsednik finished on the south side, then came out of the clubhouse to get the save in the epic game three, maybe aided by a foreign substance. A walk gives the Astros life. If you're wondering about Burley, his last relief appearance was in the 2000 AL Division Series against Seattle, Game 2. He has no major league saves, and in 2000, Burley was a rookie. Don Cooper, the pitching coach, on the phone. Is Burley ready? Of course. A winning run at the plate. Tying runs are on. Ball one. Everett was 0 for 3 against Burley in Game 2. Everett pops it up. On the infield for Uribe. The White Sox are up three games to nothing. I just was honest and said, yeah, I had a few beers in between the in- innings, and I don't think it was a big deal. Just enjoying a cocktail. <laughs> Got to save Hell the World yeah. Series after a couple of beers. Man, memorable moments, dude gets a 10. A save after a beer. Sliding on the tarp like a slip and slide among so many reasons that for vibes he gets a 10 he stayed his same exact self as a dude and a pitcher all the way through 2011 Sox moved on he eventually signed with Ozzy Guillen in Miami for four years and big money September before that with the future uncertain made the final start of 2011 in front of the home crowd and he was nails six innings zero runs six K's White Sox fans got to say goodbye to one of the greatest players in franchise history John Cooper, the interim manager for the White Sox, sent Mark Burley to the mound. Not one player from the White Sox took the field except Mark Burley. Coop went out to get him, and the ceremonious move let Mark Burley say goodbye to the fans. Hopefully, it won't be the last time we see Mark Burley in a Sox uniform because he was uh, tough tonight, scattering six hits. He leaves after seven complete innings, no runs, six hits to the Jays, and then Burley leaves with a 2 nothing lead. So it's Crane. Jesse comes on to nurse that 2 nothing lead here in the eighth, the eighth inning, and there comes Burley to the crowd. Right here. And Burley throws kisses to the fans as he salutes them. Man, I forgot how clean that goodbye was. You don't really get to do that very often. That's awesome. He'd uh, be in Miami for a year, traded to Toronto, then would retire after the 2015 season. White Sox retired his number in 2017. How about this number, Danny? Between 2001 and 2015, not only did he throw more innings than anybody, but the total was 243 innings more than the second-place pitcher, CC Sabathia. So over those 15 years, he fit in an entire extra season than any other pitcher in baseball history is only going to make the career shine brighter i'd vote for him for the hall of fame in a second i think his tally is going to increase every year of his eligibility respect off the charts for burley offense nine defense a 10 and that's pitching so offense slash fielding it's a nine vibes a 10 pitching a 10 teammate chip a 10 memorable moments a 10 of 49 out of 50 for mark burley number one on the list so that was great, great fun to do. Uh, Texter, listening on Hit and Run, says, what are the other two games in your top three baseball games all time? I'll give you that answer. Number one, the first one was Nolan Ryan versus Roger Clemens at Fenway Park when I was in college 
So I think 1990, I believe. I've looked it up before, but it was Ryan versus Clemens. They had just faced each other in Texas the week before, and Ryan won. This time, Clemens won. Mike Greenwell hooked uh, a homer around Pesky's pole. Ellis Burks uh, was thrown at by Nolan Ryan, and he stepped out of the box and pointed his bat at Nolan Ryan, and we were all, like, freaking out, and then he stepped back in and hit the game-winning RBI. That was, no, that was the first greatest game I ever saw. Then the Mark Burley perfect game, and then game seven of the 2016 World Series with the Cubs and Cleveland. Pretty, pretty good one. Pretty, pretty good. Those are my top three. Thanks for asking. Eno Saris from The Athletic makes numbers fun. Do you guys know what Stuff Plus is? You should. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'll tell you about it next on 670 The Score. And here we go. As DeGrom gets a strike on the first offering by Philadelphia, the 0-2. Got him swinging. Strike three called to Raleigh. 97 with the fastball at the bottom of the zone on the inside corner. Tani has his first strikeout, two down. For the Reds, it is Hunter Green. Swing and miss, and Green out of the gate gets a strikeout. Man on the mound, Graham Ashcraft. He is about as emotional a pitcher as you will find, and he finds strength in that passion. Dotson, top of the zone, strike three. Taking the mound this afternoon for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's going to be left-hander Shane McClanahan. The 0-2, he strikes him out. Fastball again, he got Abrams with that 100-mile-per-hour fastball. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. So here's the deal. My producer, Sean Sears, he loves Stuff Plus. He's a big Stuff Plus guy. Our next guest coming to us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Well, he invented Stuff Plus. He's Eno Saris, and now Stuff Plus, which is really fun to say. If you can't tell, I'm really enjoying saying it as often as possible, is available in leaderboard form over at Fangraphs, which is awesome. And so the dudes that you just heard highlights of, Jacob DeGrom, Shohei Otani, Hunter Green, Graham Ashcraft, and Shane McClanahan. Sean, those are what? Top five guys right now in Stuff Plus? That, yeah, of course, as of like 7 o'clock this morning. Yes. Okay. All right. Eno Saris, welcome to Hit and Run. Thank you for the time. As always, enjoy talking to you. Does that sound right? Are those the top five guys in Stuff Plus as of 7 a.m. this morning? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, I hear high 90s fastballs. 
Uh, you know, Graham Ashcroft has like a 98-mile-an-hour cutter. McClanahan is uh, on the short list for the Cy Young. Like, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that it passes the sniff test, if you ask me. <laughs> See, the sniff test, I love it right away because, like, numbers can be wonky. Blah, blah, blah. The sniff test is what it's about. I tried to explain stuff plus to people on an earlier show, like within the last month, and I basically said, look, just think about the times in your life that you have wanted to sit down and watch a start whenever Chris Sale was going, you know, like in this town or when, it, when Jake Arrieta was at its best or Kerry Wood. And you're like, man, he might throw a no hitter any day. And I just want to see that person deal watchability. Dylan Cease is far and away the best Chicago pitcher in Stuff Plus. But does that make sense on some level for the starting pitcher version of these rankings? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, he throws he throws high 90s gas, and it's not just about Velo. I think the one thing that has that, that Stuff Plus has helped us realize beyond uh, the value of the radar gun, which is where it was born. Stuff Plus was born in the radar gun when, when scouts said, oh, this guy throws 98, you know, we like him. Now uh, we start to know that the shape of the pitches matters. Does it have ride? Does it have drop? You know, does it have sweep? And then um, also a a kind of interesting thing is that the release point matters a lot. Some guys just have really funky release points. You've seen Josh Hader over the years. He has a high stuff plus because he has an interesting combination of movement and release point. You wouldn't expect the movement that he gives you out of his release point. And he throws 96, you know, but – um, you know, the, the, the idea is that release point and movement matter. That That's really cool. As you talk about release point, I think of the pitcher that I learned that phrase about when I was a kid, who was Sid Fernandez of the Mets when they had Ron Darling and, and Dwight Gooden. It's like, But Fernandez had this weird lefty delivery that the ball would just kind of appear very, very late. Um, and so that's interesting. So the release point matters. So So really what you've ended up with – is measuring nastiness, yeah, yeah. right, and that, yeah. and that yeah. makes who, who are some of the weird pitchers or some of the low velo pitchers who actually do really well in stuff plus for some of the other I reasons. Think, I, I don't know how often um, your listeners see them, but the, you know the Mariners have a really interesting uh, set of, of arms at the back end of their bullpen, and they've got this guy Andres Munoz who throws a hunt like he sits a hundred, and so it's pretty easy when you see him to say, "Wow." This guy sits 100. He's got a 92 mile on a slider. Like, this guy's nasty. But right next to him, and the guy who's actually getting the save chances right now is this guy named Paul Seawald. And Paul Seawald throws 93. And he's got some funk to it. But when you're watching it, I wouldn't say that you would say, this guy's one of the nastiest in baseball. And he is. He's a top 10 reliever by Stuff Plus. And it has to do with the fact that he releases it low, but he does it in a way that he's over the top. So batters see the low release point and think, oh, this is all going to be down in the dirt. This is all going to dive away from me. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, side armor, basically. I'm thinking submariner. And then it comes up at them in a, special, in a, in a surprising way. Michael Givens, you know, is not one of the best stuff plus guys in baseball. But there, he does a similar thing where he has a release point where you just wouldn't expect that kind of movement out of him. It's really cool. We've always heard about – when managers are putting together a bullpen or front offices, like, oh, I need a guy who has this look or a guy who has this different look or that kind of thing. And if they're all like have funky different looks with really good stuff pluses, then you get to be the Mariners, I suppose, or the Rays. Like, who are the teams that have done best 
in utilizing like the understanding of stuff plus and the understanding of uh, of how a guy might just be nasty even if it's not hard. Who are the teams that have done the best at that in recent years? Uh, the, the Rays are always uh, top five when you look up at the end of the season. And one of the things that they do that's so cool is um, when they acquire a player like Zach Eflin, for example, they com- they all, often change the shape of their pitches. And the way the guiding principle for that is, you know, I I've seen these these uh, these plans for pitchers from from teams. What they're doing is looking at stuff plus and saying, oh. Well, Stuff Plus says that if you add three inches vertical or you add three inches horizontal or you do this, that your Stuff Plus will be higher. So they use these to make plans for pitchers. So they got in Zach Eflin, who'd been, you know, a credible pitcher. It was it's their biggest free agent signing of all time, but it's like three years and 30 million. And, um, and, and they brought him in and they changed his curveball immediately. And uh, he's, he rates higher now on Stuff Plus than he ever had in his career. But other teams that uh, obviously are about this are the Yankees, uh, the Dodgers, and the Astros. The Astros took a bunch of pitchers that they paid like $5,000 for, signing bonuses, because they were 20 years old, 21 years old. They were too old for Latin America. And they turned them into Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy and Fran Valdez and Christian Javier. I mean, that's four guys that cost them a combined $50,000 in signing bonuses, and they've coached them all the way through the minors being like, hey, we need something here. We need something here. Um, and Stuff Plus has been a big part of that. Wow. I didn't realize that. that, that that's astounding to think about because we used to hear about the Astros as the team that spent big money on Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, but still fixed them a little bit. Hey, why don't you just look at the four-seamer and ditch the two-seamer or whatever. But Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right, right, but, but now you're talking about when you do it holistically with scouting and development all the way through, then you're really, then you're really getting somewhere. That, that's amazing. So we're talking to Eno Saris. Go ahead. You know, the Dodgers do something really interesting where um, the, the best marriage of what you're talking about in terms of like doing it holistically – I think might be the Dodgers. And so one of my examples is there's a new pitch called the sweeper stuff. Plus yep. loves it. But it, it's Wisniewski. big. It, yeah. It's big here. Daniel Moscos has been on this show and Hayden Wesneski's uh, the, the main dude here. Yes. And yeah. One. Yeah. So Hayden Wesneski's a sweeper that he throws. Um, that's been really popular. So the Dodgers realized that um, sweepers, uh, the best sweepers come from a certain type of pitcher. It's not a pitcher that's very over the top. It's not a Dylan Cease that has a great ride on his fastball. It's these guys that have these in-between fastballs. And guess what? The in-between fastballs don't always do well on stuff plus. So for the Dodgers, those pitchers are easy to acquire. Evan Phillips, just pick him up off of waivers, you know? And so they've done this where they've acquired pitchers, and then they throw the sweeper into the mix, and all these pitchers have gotten better. Blake Trinan got better with a sweeper so they they kept adding the sweeper now they've realized well the sweeper has big platoon splits so i need another pitch so now they're teaching their guys cutters and splitters uh because those pitches have better platoon splits so now you're getting hayden wesnensky is actually kind of a model for a lot of young pitchers if you don't have a great four seam then you might be a sweeper sinker cutter guy just like Hayden Wisniewski, because Hayden Wisniewski needs that cutter to get lefties out. Wow, that's really cool. It's a it's it's a market inefficiency when you're better at it than others. Um, exactly. Yeah. So so 
So are these teams using your same stuff plus, and how many teams uh, are using your same stuff, or do they have their own proprietary thing that, that, that is, is an equivalent? Um, they use, uh, they use their own stuff plus for the most part. Um, I do actually know of, uh, at least one team that consults my stuff plus. So, uh, it's not, it's not zero, but most of the teams have their own stuff plus. And one of the reasons is they can have more data than I can, which is, um, they can have like biomechanical data. Yeah. So the one thing that stuff plus is not amazing at is changeups. It takes the longest to understand how, if a changeup is good, um, the, 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 you know, it doesn't predict changeup quality as good as the other pitches, as well as the other pitches. And one of the reasons is that I don't have like arm speed, right? So a guy could get good movement or big velocity differential on his changeup, but could be babying it, could be coming slow, you know, dragging his body, doing whatever to kind of slow down the pitch. And pitch hitters can 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 see that. And I, that's not in my model. So teams that, that can incorporate that kind of stuff into their model are going to have a better model than I do. It's, uh, um, I, I love it. I remember when, when Theo Epstein got here in 2012, you know, um, I ended up on a panel with him on a TV show. It was right before he started uh, with the Cubs, but I guess he had started. It was a few weeks in or whatever. And I turned to him during a commercial break and I said, so do you guys use FIP or XFIP or like, what do you guys use for pitchers? He said, uh, we have our own proprietary uh, <laughs> metrics, exactly. right? And I was like, and I called him the hipster sabermetrician at the time, yeah. you know, but yeah. <laughs> right. But everybody is, it's just like a music hipster or a beer hipster. You're, you're, I know what a beer guy you are. Like whatever. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I, I was into XFIP before everybody was. Using <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, because it's now on fan graphs, you know, there are teams like, Oh, well we gotta, we gotta develop the next thing then. <laughs> of course they can't be caught dead man it's like yeah. I, I remember the bears gm phil emery used pro football focus before any other team used pro football focus it's like <laughs> people people cross over um from from research to to teams uh as as we know all right so i know for a fact that theo epstein follows you on twitter um so do you uh, what are what are your feelings about the new rules? I said earlier, did a whole segment that singles are back, and I think singles are sexy. Like I'm digging it from an offensive perspective. I mean, Cubs with a bunch of hits yesterday, White Sox with a bunch of hits yesterday. When something feels like it should be a hit, it is a hit. Like like Cody Bellinger said this the other day. He said, "Nice to see hits that have always been hits be hits again." Thought that was really good, um, actually. So, what yeah. what are some of your early takeaways on on the shift restrictions? I think it's uh, been I think it's been great. I think uh, I think the game. I love uh, actually specifically the uh, the explosion in stolen bases because I think stolen bases are fun, and I think they create activity. I think people at the park crave activity. They want to, they look up from their phones when they hear the crack of the bat or, you know, they can, they can tell that someone's running towards second. If somebody's on base, they, they're more, more likely to pay attention. So, you know, I think, I think uh, the stolen base thing has been great. Um, I, I think the pitch clock is totally fine. I think we're going to, we're not going to even be talking about it by next year. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, that, you know, I, I'm the only thing that only reason I hesitate on the, the, the shift thing is we can still have a guy right behind second base. You know, mm-hmm. he can't be on the wrong side of it, but he can be right behind second base. And I have kids in Little League, 
And, you know, we teach them all the time, you know, hit it up the middle, right over the pitcher's head, you know, like we're hit up the middle, hit up the middle. And then they get to the big leagues and hitting up the middle is not the way to go anymore. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, there, there are some future changes they might make. They've talked about a pizza slice behind second base um, that basically a, a defender can't stand in and that might return um, to hits up the middle. Um, and uh, that could be a possibility. But I do like uh, this brand of baseball. It, it, it requires you to watch a little bit more. You can't just put the game on and, and, and make dinner or whatever. Like, you kind of want to be watching the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that's good. I'd rather, I'd rather set aside two and a half hours that I'm actually going to watch than have a game on for four hours where I did my taxes and, you know, you know, uh, made dinner and didn't pay attention to any of the games. <laughs> oh man, that's beautiful. I, I totally agree. I haven't heard about the pizza slice. I think that's a great idea because that should be a hit. That that should be a hit because when you're teaching that methodology of hit it straight back up the middle, then you're teaching them to get opposite field hits as well as pull hits. You're teaching them to use the right. whole damn field. You know, so right. so yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I, I I told I, I've been calling it the New Deal. With all due respect to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of course, like all the rules coming together at the same time. And um, I mean, that thing, it wasn't perfect when FDR launched it. Like it evolved. You know, these things will have right. to evolve uh, a little bit. Um, you know, I thought I thought I thought that maybe they could have uh, rolled things out one at a time uh, to get more of a sense of what each rule was doing separate from the others. Yeah. But to be fair to Theo, I think, you know, one of the things that he's so brilliant at, he's taking this this you know, what he took to the Cubs and what he took to the teams he ran, he's taking it to baseball now, that same energy. And he did test all these things one at a time in the minors. Yes. So I think they had a good sense of, you know, for example, in the minors, we had, uh, when they first rolled out the pitch clock, they had two violations per game. And that would have been maybe too much. That would have been uh, kind of crazy. But they said, you know, this is the minors. We're testing it out. Let's see what happens for a year. And six weeks in, they were down to a half a violation per game. And we've seen the same thing with the pros. Even actually more, it's been quicker because they're pros, you know? Yep. And, uh, and, and so, you know, they did know a lot of this stuff ahead of time. And uh, I think they've done a great job of testing it and rolling it out. Yeah, and, and I think they're all working together in a really interesting way. And I think that was the idea, that they're all kind of coalescing. So um, yeah. um, I, I, I appreciate um, it all coming together. You know, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. And we will follow and be reading you at The Athletic. All right. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Eno Saris from The Athletic. Matt Spiegel is who you're with on Hit and Run. Um, Shane Reardon is part of a dude's trip for White Sox Pirates, and he's a producer and a content creator here at The Score, and he joins us next. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Oh, man. This dude is assuredly on a high horse, and I would never tell him to get off. The only thing that would be better is if he was, if he was with Casey Musgraves on his high horse. Shane Reardon joins us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. The man is in Pittsburgh, along with with Chris Tannehill. I almost said Shane Reardon. He's, Shane, he's there with Shane. Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence for White Sox Pirates. Thank you for the time this morning. How are you, sir? Dude, this place is incredible. Tell me. Tell tell this is, us. This is the this is the I mean, I haven't been to every major league baseball park, but I've been to ten, eleven of them. Sometimes like 
I enjoy the cell. I enjoy the camaraderie of the cell and hanging out at court before and after. I love a 75-degree night in the bleachers at Wrigley watching the sunset. But this place makes you, like, remember that sometimes it's okay to spend money on your stadium. Hmm. They have literally everything. Number one, they've made it affordable for families to come. The food options are incredible. They have – we're just talking to Benetti. Me and Tanny were up in the press box. They have – fried pickle stuffed cheese curds they have they have like a, a playground in the outfield for children uh. and everyone here is so incredibly nice we were sitting really close last night and there were a lot of pirates fans around but there were a lot of white Sox fans around too the pirates fans number one didn't leave and then number two when they did decide to leave they told us great game <laughs> Don't, I, I literally don't have a bad thing to say, number one, about the city of Pittsburgh, besides, I mean, the opioid endemic, whatever, is, is insane out here. and People are stumbling around high on something everywhere. Wow. But outside of that, this place is absolute heaven. That's amazing. That is the review of PNC Park in Pittsburgh. I've never been, dude. I'm so jealous right now. This is somewhere you have to be ASAP. I, I, I need to. I, I've always wanted to. I think it's ridiculous that, I, that I've never been, especially because what used to be there. When I was growing up, dude, there uh, t- is it Twin Rivers? Is that what it was? Or Three Rivers. Three Rivers. Um, the Monongahela, the Allegheny, and I forget what the third one is. But it was Three Rivers. It was exactly like the Vet, which was exactly like Shea Stadium, which was exactly like Riverfront in Cincinnati. It was exactly the freaking same ballpark with a carpet. And then they built what you're in now. It's it, it, like you see it on TV and you see people tweet pictures. And I'm going to tweet the picture that I just took from uh, Lennon in uh, DJ's booth. But it's, it's something I, I won't even say that it's out of a movie. It, it's, it's indescribable. The sight lines. It's, it's, it's just a stupid yellow bridge, but it's the most beautiful bridge I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> Last night we went out after the game, and I probably spent $60 on, like, 10 whiskey gingers, two beers, and nachos. (laughs) Why in God's name do we still live in Chicago? (laughs) Everything is so cheap here. (laughs) That's amazing. And, well, so why is everybody on opioids then? It sounds like a wonderful place to be, Shane. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, people on op- opioids, they like to go on little missions and stuff like that. And there are lots of hills and abandoned buildings here. So I think they're, it's, a, it's a nice big playground for them. <laughs> when did you guys get there? Did you make the Friday game? We, we made it in time for the Friday game. But what we didn't factor in was the fact that Andrew McCutcheon was making his homecoming. Yeah. So there were basically no tickets available on the secondary market. And what were available, they were 130 140 bucks for standing room. So we watched it at a bar next door to the stadium, which is also incredible. Like the restaurants and the bars that they've surrounded this place with are just so easy to get to, and everything is planned out perfectly. Like whoever was the city planner here did an awesome job. All right, so so that's actually kind of awesome for a weekend. If you've got three games, one of them you watched in the bar on Friday around the yeah. ballpark. Last night you're there for a big White Sox win when they hit their asses off, and you're, you get to be yeah. there all night. And then today is press credential day. That's three games, yeah. three different experiences. That sounds pretty great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been awesome. And, it, like, the, play, the bar that we went to, Mike's Beer Bar, which is a big sponsor of our sister station and Pony Station 93.7 The Fan, 
It was absolutely filled to the brim with Pirates fans. We were the only three White Sox fans in there, and outside of one group of dudes that were doing coke in the bathroom, it was they were the most welcoming, incredible people, like asking us questions about Chicago, asking us questions about the White Sox. Wow. It's just it's been very, very nice. Was Ben Roethlisberger with those dudes or no? No, I think he was crashing his motorcycle somewhere. (laughs) Big Ben catching a stray. It's funny you bring up Ben Roethlisberger because a very underrated thing about this sports city, and you can see it like aesthetically here, the fact that all three major teams have the same colors, the entire city is just a black and yellow theme, and it's, it's very pleasing to the eye. That's a great point. That's interesting. I don't know what other team, what other city has that. Now, now that you yeah, mentioned yeah. it, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, the Chargers and the Padres couldn't be more different. Just you know, right. spitballing. Mariners and Seahawks is similar. I don't know about similar the crack. Enough, yeah. I don't know about the Kraken, but that's, uh, that's that's a good point. I'll be thinking about yeah. that. Maybe that's a research project for Parkinson Spiegel. Shep, do we have sure, that? If, if you want to do it, you can. You can do it. <laughs> I'll ask Shep. Um, so, how, are you having fun? You and Tanny and Herb. I. I, I know we'll talk about some of that personal stuff more yeah. tomorrow, but you guys are having a blast. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're we're having a great time, and it's um it's nice to see so many White Sox fans out here, and and even like I said three or four times already, the, the Pirates fans, <laughs> the people of Pittsburgh are are incredible, and we have hit multiple spots that Wani recommended, but we can expand on that tomorrow. Oh yeah, uh, okay, good. Um, and then yeah, I, I want to hear about that. Wani, I see light mango. Well, uh, we'll expand on all that tomorrow. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll expand tomorrow. All right, beautiful. So let me let me. So so you were watching McCutcheon is the home opener. So it's Andrew McCutcheon's return to Pittsburgh yeah. after nine incredible years to start his career. The moment I'm a little bummed you guys weren't in the the stands, but you're in the bar. Did you feel that moment? Because he he was like a minute of like people going crazy and the umpire and the catcher moved away. It was one of those beautiful things that baseball provides every once in a while. And you can replicate that atmosphere in the bar as well. And then even last night when he took his first step at last night, got a standing ovation because it was a new crowd that didn't see him the night before. It's, it's very cool to see someone who's so connected to the city. And especially on Friday, I wish we would have been there to see his mom singing the national anthem and him being back out there for the first time. Wow. It's it's a great baseball city. It's a great sports city. And I I definitely cannot wait to come back, but I want to bring Wani next time. (laughs) I'd really love to experience Pittsburgh with Wani and see if people like how he's received here. Oh my God. Royalty. Freaking royalty. I mean, that man's royalty anywhere he goes. It's it's amazing. But no, that's beautiful that you got to feel that, that McCutcheon moment because there's such a, there's such a bond. I, 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 um, I keep thinking of there was one time on the road where he gave like this kid in center field his batting gloves or his fielding gloves, and the kids like went crazy. And I keep thinking about who those kids are. They're probably grown up now. Some of them might be players. Yeah. Some of them, like I mean, he had a relationship. It's like a like a Canerco level relationship with the fan yep. base, right? Yep, that's a, that's a really good comp. Yeah. Um, all right, your White Sox hitting the hell out of the ball, man. Uh, like like all of them. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. You guys must be psyched watching that thing last night. Yeah. It's, it's so cool to finally see them doing something offensively that we knew they could do all along, but now like you can't just lead the league in hitting and then lead the league in being the worst pitchers in the world. So the pitching obviously has to turn around. Um, but I was, I guess, glad to see Mike Clevenger shove yesterday. <laughs> you you want to see him succeed on the field, I guess. Um, <laughs> But the bullpen confused us a little bit yesterday. Like, I don't know if you were watching along with how Pedro was, like, putting out his top guys yesterday up 
eight, nine runs. And I guess, I guess you have to use everyone and get everyone, everyone their time. But we were a little perplexed to see Kelly Graveman and Ronaldo yesterday in those situations. Dude, I brought up the bullpen usage. I'm, I'm curious and concerned. Some stuff I put on La Russa in terms of bullpen usage is still happening. Um, and that's weird. Also, without Hendricks, the whole thing doesn't make as much sense as we know. But like, and, and Ronaldo giving up the home run. The bullpen has now given up a run in every single game. Nine games. Yeah. Bull, bullpen's given up a run. They have the worst bullpen ERA by more than two runs to the 29th ranked team. It's a disaster. I, I would like to say that they'll regress to the mean, but we really haven't seen anything to to support that so far. But I will say. Like, being so close yesterday, Joe Kelly did look phenomenal. Graven was a little shaky, but Kelly looked awesome close yesterday. Yeah, and, and, and did you guys have any idea what was happening with all the pitch clock violations? I talked to Kamka earlier in the show. They didn't even know on TV what was going on. Yeah, so it, it, it looked like I thought – so it was a bat boy that went out to give Joe Kelly something. I thought it was a new pitch com, but he didn't put it in his hat. He put it in, like, the belt of his pants, and then they called the, the ball because – Pedro needed to come out or at least step out and call time for the bat boy to then run that out to Joe Kelly. But it was very bizarre because they were almost mid windup. And then the bat boy ran out to Yasmani and like the, the ump pointed to Joe Kelly. And then the bat boy ran to Joe Kelly, but then he came back and, and called the ball. So they, the, the, ump, the home plate ump knew time was being called, but I guess they didn't do it the right way. Got it. Got it. All right. So, so, so yeah. what'd you learn today in the, in the clubhouse or at press level? Did you go into the clubhouse? No, no, no. We decided no clubhouse today. Um, definitely, we didn't get here enough time for pre, and I don't think we're going to stay the entire time, so no clubhouse. But gotcha. the, 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 the biggest takeaway is just the breathtaking view from the press box. And I know that's maybe that's like media elitist, and like not everyone gets to see that, so I don't want to stomp on it too hard. But like this is one park. I don't like sitting in the 300, but the first time you come here, you need to sit in the 300 level. Man. It's just, it's beautiful. All right. Wetting my appetite like crazy. Um, I'm jealous. You've been touched by the baseball angel, Shane Reardon. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure, sure feels that way. And, and you know me, I don't really enjoy many things. So it's nice to have a few consecutive days where I'm actually in a good mood. It's an Easter miracle, dude. It really is. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So finally chopped rosemary, thyme, and basil this morning mixed uh, in with a bunch of fresh minced garlic and olive oil, and I'm going to smear that all over my three-and-a-half-pound bottom-round roast to make a roast beef. Um, it's going to be with, with, chi- with beef broth and water as t- to cook for, like, two hours. Should be pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, it, it should. I, I would have, if I were you, I would have put those herbs and the aromatics in with the butter instead of the olive oil because uh. it's going to, adhere to the roast a little bit better, but that does sound like it's going to be very good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I see. This is why I should have consulted. So you are my beef sensei. Are you okay with that title, or would you prefer meat sensei? Either one. Either one is fine. I uh, I go by many things to many people, um, and that's one of the nicer ones. Okay. I'm going to go <laughs> I'm going to go with meat sensei, because that opens us up to pork and everything else. Okay. Good talk. Great. Sounds Th- good to me. Thanks, man. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Yeah, th- thank you for um, me being your second choice behind Tanny. Talk to you later. <laughs> he got me on the way out. He knows he was my second choice. <laughs> that guy's just the funniest. He's the best, man. Oh, got me so good on the way out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, tomorrow, Parkinson Spiegel. 
We'll talk a lot more about Shane and Tanny's trip with Herb to Pittsburgh. All the Wanstead-related things that are coming up. The Icy Light Mango. And Andrew Filipponi, Danny's buddy, the talk show host in Pittsburgh, threw out a first pitch and killed it. Absolutely killed it. Uh, so much better than our, than our boy. Um, so we'll have to talk about that as well. Oh, my God, that was so funny. So so Ponies wasn't very Narpian? Uh, no, no, it was not very Narpian, which is what Boomer Esiason called Danny, a narp, a non-athletic regular person. Ouch. It's mean. Ouch, It's not man. wrong, but it's mean. It's not wrong, but it's mean. Um, we have more hit and run. We're usually done by now, but we're not done by now because the Cubs start uh, at one ten. And so we have Cubs pregame at 1245, so you get bonus hit and run. Tell a friend, a rumor is heating up in regards to the Cubs that we have to discuss. We'll do it to kick off our final 40 minutes next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.